I guess just to start off, could you just explain to people listening that like might not know your company uh, what it is that you guys do? Okay, we are a technology company. We we produce um, sustainable products for crop nutrition. Um, one of the components of those products for crop nutrition is potash. Um, potash um, became a hot topic in the press uh, recently because most of its supply is controlled by two countries, one country being Russia and the other one being Belarusia. So all of a sudden the market lost a, a significant component of its supply. As a result, prices went up and everyone started looking for alternatives and, and how to address security of supply issues. So that has triggered a lot of interest towards towards Verdi Agritech and, and what we're doing. Yeah, and I guess um, just to follow up, I guess, a bit on, you know, the company mission stuff, I saw like within uh, one of your disclaimers in a recent presentation, uh, they're specifically saying, you know, um, that we're not good enough for you to invest in if you're looking for a traditional potash company. I guess, could you explain, you know, what you mean by that? And, you know, I guess how sure. you're differentiating? Sure. So a, a traditional potash company is essentially a mining company selling a commodity to a distributor who will then sell it, beneficiate it somehow and sell it to farmers. We're very different um, for at least three reasons. Um, the first reason is we, we sell it directly to farmers. So we have over 2,000 farmers in the United States. We have over 2,000, not that 2,000 farmers as customers in, in Brazil. And, and we, we, we're fully integrated in that, in that regards. The second difference we have to a conventional potash company or to a conventional potash miner is that our um, um, product is is sustainable. Not just the product, but how we how we process the technology and how we mine the ore. So it's very all truly sustainable. Um, so whereas conventional potash is a salt. And and is 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 half potash and half chloride, half salinity. Uh, with our technology, we we can eliminate the need for salinity. We can eliminate the need to apply and spread chloride to our soils. So there are a number of agronomic and environmental benefits as as a result of that. And and the other reason, um, and the final reason why we're different to a conventional potash company is because we essentially all about technology in terms of how we develop the product and in terms of how we market it and, and, and in terms of how we have different uh, um, technologies we keep developing and we keep applying for new patents and how it's all onboarded onto our, our product. I like to think about our product as, a, as an iPhone that we keep upgrading without the need to keep increasing costs, increasing price to, 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 to customers uh, uh, as a result of the new technologies. But, but we keep developing that and we keep making the product better and better. 
yeah, that that's really great. And I just want to, I guess, kind of touch an extra bit on the tech before going back, I guess, to the competitive landscape. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of technology stuff and, you know, your company has a lot of R&D investments, whether it's, you know, through Cambridge Tech, 3D Alliance, MicroS, so on. Um, so I guess what underlying advances technologically within those has the company made in regards to, um, you know, uh, mining extraction and sustainability uh, while continuing to remain capital likes? That's kind of been a standout feature of the company is, you know, not having extreme capital intensity to date. Or each each techno each one of those technologies you mentioned does does something different. So, for example, um, Cambridge Tech is something we developed in partnership with Cambridge University, and it allows us to produce a gradual release fertilizer. A problem you have with conventional fertilizers is that it's 100% soluble in water, so you end up losing a lot of nutrients before crops need the nutrients. Or in some cases, crops end up absorbing more nutrients than, than they actually need, leading to some other physiological problems to crops. Uh, because of this gradual release technology, we essentially allow crops to uptake nutrients as their growth or as, as the natural growth cycle progresses, which, which results in, 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 uh, in better efficiency overall. Um, the microS technology is a very interesting one. It allows us to convert residue elemental sulfur, um, which is usually produced by oil refineries as a, as a residue. It allows us to produce that residue into a, a, a very efficient premium source of sulfur as fertilizer, fertilizer-grade sulfur. Um, which we can add to our product and, and sell with significant margins. The other technology, um, 3D Alliance, allows us to combine other micronutrients and macronutrients to the product, combine them all, and, and have a, a, a final product with a very high degree of uniformity in the distribution of, of, of nutrients. Um, the other one's N-Keeper, which when we combine this technology with urea, conventional urea, we, we transform uh, um, the mechanism for, for urea so it becomes a slow-release fertilizer as well, uh, reducing the amount of nitrogen which is lost as volatilization. So those are, are four technologies we have announced so far. And there's another technology we are very excited about that should be announced in, in the coming weeks as well. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about that one. And I guess um, I guess back to competition, I guess two-pronged. The first would be um, international competition because right now I think it's about 90% of Brazil's potash is imported. Um, so how is the, kind of the go-to-market strategy to displace uh, the existing competitors that are just bringing in uh, international potash to the market right now? Um, well... We, we, we approach farmers, and you need to bear in mind farmers are very conservative, and they became very wealthy by using conventional potash. So we will approach them and, and start the conversation by clarifying that when they switch from conventional potash to our advanced product, we will not be increasing their costs if they paid a million dollars for their total potash requirement, they will keep spending a million dollars when they switch to our technology. With that established, we, we go on and explain all the benefits we, we will offer and how those benefits will come for free. 
and why they're so relevant in comparison to conventional potash. So we will explain about the problems you have with salinity in the soil, the importance of soil microorganisms, and how chloride is a problem. We will talk about the other nutrients farmers will get for free, like silicon, manganese, magnesium. We will talk about um, how they can optimize their, their their harvest and their planting process by by using a gradual release fertilizer versus a, a, a immediately release fertilizer, water soluble fertilizer. So and, and then and then highlight how all of those benefits come come for free. And and in the in, you know we originally when we began we would after a lot of effort we would be able to convince a farmer to try perhaps you know like in one acre in a small portion of their farm and then over the years those farmers kept increasing gradually kept talking to their neighbors about the benefits and and the market grew from there so nowadays we already have farmers who approach us and and because they know of some of their neighbors or other farmers were already using it uh, uh, in their whole farm. They're already coming and switching straight away to, to our product. And I guess um, a follow up more on the domestic side as well. Um, you know, your company's ramping its you know, production capacity in tons per year. Uh, there are already other players, I guess, that are larger, more capitalized uh, within Brazil. I guess Mosaic's one of them, but their production for at least potash in particular is 500,000 tons per year about. How are you going about, you know, um, making it seem like you guys are better off versus these players that might have um, more ability to spend money at the moment? Well, it's, it's, it's not easy and we don't win every time. But um, farmers, it's true, they're very conservative, but it's equally true they're, they're open to, to try different technologies. Um, so we, we, we find those. Uh, um, and of course, those are usually the early adopters. And then um, the laggards come afterwards after seeing those early adopters gloat about the benefits they, they are getting by, by replacing to, to KCL. So essentially, that's, that's how the process evolves. And I guess I, I wanted to move on to, you know, I guess capacity and I guess expansion plans, but really quickly as well. Is there any margin benefits or, or cost savings that you get from producing domestically and you know transporting domestically versus having to import? Is that a place where either customers or the company can realize cost savings? Well, for the company, for us, it's it's absolutely far cheaper to produce it and sell it next door, literally, <laughs> and and in, in 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 the adjacent area, which represents you know the some of the world's most fertile operations um, so it, it, it's um, it's a benefit being being a domestic producer but when it comes to selling the product we sell the product for the same cost to the farmer as imported fertilizers as imported potash so uh, essentially we capture those those gains and those margins yeah I guess, does the farmer in this case benefit from, I guess, uh, better yield and better health of the soil, basically? So they, they're basically more profitable. Is that what I'm kind of hearing, basically? We've seen this happening. Um, there's some studies that provide the science why this, this, this happens. But when we market the product, this isn't how we we approach farmers uh, um, because the the problem of 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 trying to convince 
the, the problem some companies have is trying to charge farmers more than they currently spend with the promise of better yields. And farmers have very little patience for that sort of sort of approach. Yeah, thank you. And I guess um, moving on to I guess capacity and production, you guys are still in a pretty big ramp up phase. You're uh, expanding expanding plant two. Uh, you're building on to plant three. Uh, I know it's going to bring capacity up a lot. Uh, but I guess some of the questions I had were: What's the current plans to I guess fully finance the uh, capex to complete these expansions right now? It's accumulated cash flow and, and some debt. So there's no plan to raise um, new equity ever, I hope. Uh, I'm sure shareholders will be happy to hear that, you know. <laughs> there, was, there was one, there was one, one call a, a while ago when I actually declared independency from, from capital markets, from, from, from equity capital markets. Yeah. How does it feel to get to that point, I guess? Because, you know, the company's been around for a long time. Uh, to actually get this stuff up and running. So how does how do you make the transition from having to, I guess, rely a bit more on the equity market for financing to now uh, generating revenue and profits and not really having to focus on it the same way? We're usually so busy that there's little time to to think about that kind of stuff. You know, you can you might that might cross your mind, but at the same time, something else you need to address is is just as fast as as jumping into your mind. So and that's. Yeah. That's how it works in, 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 in practice. Yeah. And I guess just on the expansion plan stuff, how much of the market share do you think you'll be able to capture within Brazil's domestic market? I know you said once plant three is fully up and running, plant two's expansion is done, I think it's 16% of potential supply at full capacity. But you know, how long do you think it might take to ramp up to that point? Uh, and how much do you think is reasonable to capture? I don't know. Um, we'll keep working towards reaching that that market share as fast as possible we're very encouraged by our growth and and by 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 the results so far answering the second part of your 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 question um the fees the pre-feasibility study we have on the way we'll be looking at supplying about 60 percent of the brazilian market 60 percent this study should be out in 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 the coming weeks as well uh, um, and to give you an idea, the, this market in Brazil, if we multiply, it used to be it used to be easier to make that calculation. But now that potash price kept going up, now we need to multiply one thousand two hundred dollars by fourteen million. What what is that? I think if I'm doing some head math, it's probably like sixteen billion ish, something around there. A little yeah, more? That, that, that's good. That, that's quick math. So yeah, so th this is how much the, 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 the that's how much the potash market's worth in Brazil annually, with the current prices, about sixteen billion dollars. Yeah, I guess how has the company really had to react to you know a lot of the geopolitical changes with you know the risk of or not really the, the risk but the ongoing you know effect of a large portion of supply cutting being cut off uh, in the potash market globally and general you know global food insecurity. Well, we we um, we had to help farmers and and uh, um, some level of the government as well to understand all the problems this this presents to the country. And uh, fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately, Brazilians are very optimistic. So I remember a couple of weeks after the war began, 
talking to someone very senior in in the government and he was telling me how there was nothing to worry about because the war was going to be over in two weeks uh, uh, and, and things were going to be back to normal. Uh, um, unfortunately, we, we don't think it's as simple as that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, we don't see the sanctions um, being, being removed in, in the near term. Uh, we don't see Belarus finding a logistical solution to export their potash. And, and even if Russia can keep carry on supplying, it, just the, the, the actual physical issue with Belarus and the logistical issues, uh, uh, that takes about a third of all potash supply out of the market already in a market which doesn't, doesn't have much, you know, if, if any extra availability at the moment. So, so I think it's a very, very complicated situation. And, and unfortunately, it's the, the poorer population uh, that's going to suffer the most as, as we see food prices going even, even higher than they currently are, as unfortunately we start seeing um, some, some of the next harvest failing as a result of inefficient or insufficient fertilizer application. Yeah, and I, I kind of want to touch up on some harvest stuff really quick and then move back to uh, kind of, I guess, uh, production and you know kind of capacity really quick but um you know there's going to be i guess a shorter wet season this year uh within brazil uh, it looks like and i was just wondering you know in the cases where there's you know more drought uh or, or shorter wet seasons how that impacts the company's operational outlooks and you know how that may impact you know the end result for farmers and what they need from you well um drought is certainly a um, nightmare for farmers um the the advantage of Brazil being being as big as it is uh, is that very rarely you're going to have a drought all over Brazil. It will affect different regions of the country uh, um, um, in in different ways, um, and that is why it's so important for us to be selling across the whole country, so we can essentially you know protect ourselves from, 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 from this risk. And so far it has worked really well. Um, the, uh, uh, in terms of, of the impact in our operations itself, uh, we, we, like, we like dry weather. Our biggest problem is, is with the raining season. It's operating during the raining season. That's a nightmare. Uh, uh, moving product from the mine to the plant, as well as operating the plant and loading trucks when it's raining heavily, it's 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 very bad. It's very, uh, um, and unfortunately, this year we had some of the, the the worst raining season for 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 decades in the region. Like in one day, we had over 400 millimeters of of of, of rain. Which is a lot uh, in a in a matter of hours, and 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 but in spite of that, we've been able to to operate throughout Q1, and I'd like to believe investors will be happy with with our Q1 results, which should be announced in in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see the results come out. I love just you know reading through the press releases, seeing kind of the updates and stuff. But I mean, you touched on how rain is. When it's heavy, at least it's for operation of 400 millimeters. That's that's you know almost up to my waist a little bit. So, you know, it's definitely a problem. But could you touch on potentially 
uh, some of the other operational issues that you've seen be like most persistent when you're, you know, running to, you know, getting these mines up and running uh, and expanding them out and, you know, how the companies really work to address them over time? I, I, I didn't hear the first part of the question. Sorry. Uh, just what are, you know, I guess some of the operational challenges that you've run into trying to run this mine uh, and, you know, I guess how the companies work to address these problems as they popped over time? Yeah, I, th I think the biggest problem has been has been rain operating during the rain season. Uh, um, so 2022 um, will, you know, I think when the results are out, will be a, a, um, a big change in terms of how we've improved operations from when we began. I remember right right from the beginning when we conceived the operations, we we were planning to shut down the plant from from November all the way up till March. There was a you know there was part of our original plan that there wouldn't be any production during the the the, the rain season. We would have to stockpile everything everything before. But over the years, we've been able to to find ways to to operate and and deal with the rain and 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 hopefully uh, it will get better from here. Is there anything the company can do specifically to kind of I guess fight against the rain? Is there certain installations or you know uh, construction plants the company can do to really make it easier for those months of the year? Yes, but it's all expensive. It's all a trade-off between capex and 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 the rest, isn't it? So when we began. Um, it was such a tiny, tiny plant and just a single line. Uh, um, you know, we could only we could only get funds to build it because the you know the last minute the the bank that was lending us funds asked me to sign off as a as a guarantor for the operation. Uh, uh, um, otherwise, they wouldn't even lend us money. And 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 so that's that's how it began with 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 you know trying to make as many many trade-offs on, on, on capex as, as as possible uh, um, right now we know we've we now have enough capital so we've invested in in extending sheds we've invested in 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 better more efficient loading process we've invested in in even paving the the, the, the ground sealing some of the ground which which in the previous years just turned into a, a mud bath to 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 operate. I remember there was one time we brought some of our directors to to visit and one of the directors got there and it was very excited and inside to go walking on the on the on the plant only to to kind of like get mud up to his waist by by walking the you know not not, not. <laughs> so so it has changed a lot from 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 when we began uh five years ago the operations. Yeah and I guess you know, you talked about the trade-offs between, you know, CapEx and operations and stuff. And um, I guess to follow up on that, I saw the company made a release a couple months ago about, you know, really keeping the balance between, you know, expansion, CapEx, which is like a necessity to get your production up versus uh, returning capital to shareholders. So how, how does the company right now view, you know, its capital allocation priorities, keeping the balance between making the necessary investments to build capacity, but also rewarding shareholders at the same time? Well, there's a, there's an independent committee from the board uh, looking into into all the feedback we received from shareholders. Um, they are talking to some shareholders. They're looking at the possibilities. They're working on our on our updated um, cash flow estimates and working on the updated capital requirements. Um, and then hopefully soon they're going to be able to come up with a recommendation um, to to what could be done. 
um, so we we wouldn't need to sacrifice our 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 growth uh, if if we can find a way to start returning funds to shareholders somehow. And then when it comes to returning funds to shareholders, there's a whole discussion as well about dividends versus buyback versus a combination of both. So I I, I hope they're having fun trying to come up with a with a solution for that conundrum. Yeah. And I guess uh, I had a question about this because I saw, you know, one of the products, uh, Super Green Sand, that's available for purchase on Amazon in the States. And that got me thinking a little bit about, you know, obviously your primary target right now is Brazil. But how does the company think about potentially starting to reach abroad uh, to other markets when it's the time, you know, potentially to make more of that shift? Well, there has been um, some interest from Asia. Um we, we've exported a small amount to China, we've exported a small amount to India, uh, sorry, to, to Thailand, we've been approached by India. Uh, um, the US is more of a consolidated market because they're already familiar with, with this mineral. Uh, um, so yes, it's, it's something, it's something we, 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 you know, we can't say, we'll never say we're focusing on, but it's something we are responding to. Um, uh, um, but it, it isn't our focus. I mean, considering the local market, as we just calculated, sixteen uh, billion dollars, it's it's uh, um, it's a matter of, of focusing on 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 what we're doing right now. Yeah, uh, good to hear that. And I guess this is just a question more, I guess, long out about you know uh, of evolutions within you know the industries for farming in general, but um, hydroponics is a trend, at least in the States, that people are putting a lot of investments in to try to get up to speed. Is that something that you view down the line as a potential threat to the company, or is it something that isn't really as viable? It's, it's not a threat. Uh, we sell to, to hydroponic growers. Uh, we have a, a, a very fine product which, which gets used by, by hydroponic growers. Um, but it's definitely not something that can replace conventional agriculture for the foreseeable future. If you think about the size of the farms you currently have, and you try to make any sort of conversion in terms of hydroponics, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. The other, the other concern I particularly have is um, when, you, when you do hydroponics, you, you're really feeding crops only what they require to grow, and only what they require to, you know, if it's producing fruit or whatever, to, to, to have the good appearance. All the important trace elements, and then we're talking about, you know, all the different trace elements you have from dirt, from the earth, as well as its combination with microorganisms and everything, and your, micro, your gut microbiome, that is, is and will always be far healthier than any, any food grown by, by hydroponics. No, maybe for... maybe the people maybe the people who look who, who like eating industrialized fake meat, you know, lab grown meat full of a gazillion different types of 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 stuff. You don't want to know what they are. Maybe maybe they will like that. But I I, I like to think that anyone more conscious about its own health will be looking for for conventionally grown food. Uh, and I guess I have one more thing that's a, that's a bit more geared towards, you know, I guess, potential threats or risks and then ended off on a lighter one. Uh, but, you know, 
potash prices obviously skyrocket as a result of a large mass supply cutting up, being cut off. Um, but you know, globally, there's been just supply chain issues across the board, and I'm just wondering if the companies really, you know, had to change anything they've been doing as a result of you know broader supply chain issues and how you've had to adjust. We we didn't have any problems in terms of of supply and chain. Uh, uh, of course, we had some volatility, for example, with steel prices, but nothing, nothing, you know, nothing too crazy. Uh, uh, but pretty much everything we 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 need for the plant and 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 it's all it's all domestically produced and and um, so it didn't didn't really impact us. Uh, of course, what has impacted, is, as you've said, is the price of potash. I don't think the price will stay that high for very long. Um, I hope not. I think it's excessive to be charging potash what uh, um, you know the, the, the current players are, are, are doing, the current potash producers. Um, but at the same time, I was in, in, in Sao Paulo last week talking to a bank and the bank was presenting a scenario where, you know, this 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 war might turn into uh, in something of the same duration as the, the the last war in Europe with Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia, and and, and, and the, the the other countries in the Baltic, which lasted 15 years. So it's 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 a bit crazy to think about this this situation lasting a few years rather than a few months, and and, and very unfortunately. If it does carry on for longer, it's it's unavoidable to have very high potash prices for the foreseeable future. Not only because of Russia, because I think Russia alone will find ways to start exporting product from from uh, uh, its own mines. But I think the biggest problem comes from Belarus, which got cut out from the market because of, of the, you know, they can't move product via Lithuania anymore. They can't move product via via Ukraine anymore. And I don't think they will be able to in the foreseeable future. And then going through Russia is 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 not only extremely expensive, but but people question whether there is uh, available infrastructure to be moving 13 million tons uh, uh, of product up to some ports in, in Russia. So it's all very, very complicated to, to think about what's going to happen in the, for, the, for, the, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it definitely is. And I guess just to end it on a lighter note, um, it's just kind of a fun thought experiment one, but uh, I guess assuming some random hypothetical that three years from today, your company is, is bought out. Um, what component of Verde do you think would have, you know, the greatest value change or delta between you know now and then, if that were to happen. Yeah, that's that's a good question. You should ask me that question in a few weeks. <laughs> it, you know, be easy to talk about it. Yeah, uh, I guess I'll have to circle back then and find out. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah, I guess that's all I have today. Um, really, thank you again for coming out and making the time to talk. Uh, it's great to learn more about different types of businesses, especially one. Uh, that's serving in an area that's particularly important uh, in this time with everything that's going around the world. Thank you very much, Cristiano. My pleasure. Was really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Of course.